This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. On this episode, I am pleased to introduce Thomas Accardo. Thomas is the co-founder of BrokerLift. BrokerLift provides a turnkey e-commerce platform for insurance brokers to instantly enable online sales and service to their customers. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to start off right off the bat. In your words, Thomas, what is BrokerLift and what do you do? Yeah, thank you. Great introduction on uh, that's really our kind of quick intro to the to the platform. But to sort of bring it up a level, really what we see BrokerLift is is merely a tool to help brokers and, and agents really digitize their business. And you know, we see the the word digital when it comes to insurance was very much translated into just digitizing advertising. And one of the things we wanted to support the industry in is the digitization actually of the way of doing business. We can uh, we can sort of roll into a little bit of that later. Yeah, sure. Well, what needs to be digitized? Because when I was an agent, when the net first came in, that's, you know, a lot of agents were, I think, a little bit slow to come in. You know, they probably started with email and then a web presence. And to probably to a lot of them, that was the, the digital revolution. So, you know, from agents and brokers that are listening to this, what is beyond just being on the web? What else needs to be done in order to serve their customers correctly? Yeah, great question. I mean, that really one of the kind of key insights that led to founding BrokerLift was really taking digital and using it more as a, you know, you may have heard the term e-business and e-commerce and things like that, really using these tools to transform the industry. My background actually is not 100% insurance. I come from a management consulting and advertising background, spent a lot of time in the banking industry, a lot of time in the automotive industry, you know, both industries that were radically changed by the introduction of the internet and the connected consumer information at your fingertips. And those industries really had to figure out how do we, how do we leverage technology, not just as a communication tool, but a way to actually transact business to think about how my supply chain can be different, can be optimized, how I can serve customers better, you know, how I can collect money better, how I can issue documents faster. These are all the different elements that really plug into the idea of digitizing a business, which obviously is, is much, much more than sort of Google AdWords and, and some emails. I spoke to someone in the past couple of days, someone close to the agency business who said, he saw no future in transacting business on the internet. People just won't do it. They're going to still want to go to agents. That, that may or may not be true. I, I probably slightly disagree with that, but that's not even relevant, right? Like even for agents and brokers that believe that, 
they still need a lot of the digital technology around them to transact other stuff, even if the consumer isn't going to the net to actually buy a policy, right? Absolutely. And I mean, this, I mean, this is one of the, the beautiful parts about digitizing an existing independent agent and broker channel. And, you know, really it's one of the key insights that we, that we saw with the, you know, the direct competition. So seeing the, the startups, you know, such as Lemonade and some of the direct writers, you know, leveraging technology to, to sell insurance to folks online. And one of the key challenges they obviously sort of face is if, if that customer doesn't fit in the algorithmic box that is presented to them on the internet, there's really, there's nothing else they can do for them. They are essentially abandoned. The beauty of the broker channel and, and what, you know, potentially that conversation you were having was sort of alluding to was really the, the advice piece of it. And so if you don't fit in this particular online box, that's perfectly fine. There's a number you can call. There's an office you can visit. There's options. There's different solutions. And we really see, and that's why we really decided to, to build a technology that supports the broker channel because the broker channel really is about solutions. It's about solving people's risk problems, not about transacting tenants insurance. But they spend a lot of their time transacting tenants insurance and simple things. So we want to be there to help them digitize those parts of their business where there isn't significant value add and really focus their time and energy on being solution problem solvers, advice givers, and really working on complicated risks, complicated people who really want that high touch feel, but not necessarily extracting themselves from the digital business that's also out there. So you're an outsider. In your background, you talked about uh, you know consulting and advertising and automotive and banking. So how did you see insurance? What, what was there a, a magical moment that you said this is wrong and I need to fix it, or uh, or was there some other way that you came about to coming into BrokerLift? Yeah, I wish it was quite that simple. <laughs> it was a bit of a, a bit of a longer story, and it was actually where my my co-founder Bezad Salun and I met was working in the insurance industry. We ended up doing some some consulting work for a number of insurers and and large brokers. And really helping them uh, figure out how to grow, what next, how do we get more leads off the internet. And it was sort of my first introduction to all the regulation because I had come off some work in the consumer packaged goods space. I think sort of, you know, Unilever and, and those types of brands. And I was like, great, insurance, online, perfect. Uh, where's your buy one, get one free? How do we sell two of these? Where's your discount? Let's, uh, let's do a 10% coupon. <laughs> and the regulators were like, get this guy out of the room. We are going to get sued fast and hard. But, you know, the point was sort of bringing some of those fresh eyes in there is, and especially in the financial businesses in general, how do you think more like retailers? You're selling consumer products in some cases. On the business side, it is a little bit different. But take a, you know, take a lesson from a car dealer. How do I got to get someone into the store? They need to come see the car, smell the leather, feel the steering wheel. These are the types of things that motivate a new purchase. And unfortunately, insurance doesn't have any of that. And it was quite interesting because we ended up stumbling on, part of it was by accident, but, you know, we stumbled on a division that was doing some, some warranty product. And we thought, wow, these are perfect. This is literally the literal definition of a lost leader in any other business, right? So, 
how do we get some of these low premium products like appliance warranty or, you know, windshield replacements or legal expense insurance, these types of sort of low premium things that consumers can understand quickly. There's increasing search volume for them with not a lot of competition. And how do we arm the independent broker channel and agent channel to leverage these really interesting products as loss leaders to get people into their stores, whether it's a virtual store or physical store, to then build relationships and service their businesses and their personal insurance needs. That was really one of the core sort of insights that we sort of stumbled on that, that, that led us to the path to say, we need to introduce to this business a low cost e-commerce distribution channel to help personalized brokers get people into their store, to help commercial brokers, you know, get people into their stores. So broker lift is not a broker but you help brokers. Are there any conflicts? Is BrokerLift also selling insurance at all? We are not, and there are no conflicts. And we sort of made that decision and, and we make that clear from, from day one. Our objective is to help the broker channel, even right down to sort of the legality. Our customers are technically the broker. We are insurer agnostic. So when we sort of looked at the market, Instead of an insurance company coming up with a product, pushing it to brokers who then push it out to customers, we sort of went the other way around and said, what is in the best interest of a customer? Well, the, what's in the best interest of a customer is an independent broker who has lots and lots of different product that could solve almost any risk. Okay, so if that's the best case, e-retailing or e-commerce is just a digital version of, of traditional retailing. And if the broker controls the retailing, well, they should control the e-retailing as well. So our contract is with the broker and we work with the markets and the insurers and the products that the broker feels are the best products for their customers at that particular time. Do you bring, does BrokerLift bring any carriers to the table? If it's, you know, a smaller, smallish broker or agent that's coming that may not have access to a ton of markets on their own. Does broker lift help in that regard? That is definitely one thing we are building out. So our model is two parts. We do a lot of sort of custom development of products where the broker has a strategic partnership with an insurer or two, and they want to digitize a particular product for a market segment that they are particularly excited about. We'll come in, leverage our platform. We can bring products to market really, really quickly. The second part of our model is what we call the marketplace. And the marketplace is really more where, directly to your question, we will work with insurers, whether they're sort of domestic carriers or wholesalers and MGAs, to digitize product and then make that product available to, to brokers to be able to you know, very quickly get online and, and get on their products. The contractual relationship is always between the insurer and the market. We really act as a bit of a matchmaker in some cases. So what type of broker, you know, the, bro the brokerage firm is very wide. Um, there's, you know, small brokers and agents all the way to the big ones. In your opinion, let's sort of weed out which type of agents or brokers would probably not be a good fit for broker lift. And then we'll talk about which ones would be. Yeah, so that's a good question. So we don't really discern on sort of size and type of broker. So we work with small, regional, rural brokers and agents, and we work with three of the top five largest international broker houses. 
So we're kind of all across the board. One thing that we typically don't do is transact or support the transaction of auto online. If there's a broker or an agent that we meet that is 100% personal lines and 80% of that is auto, we typically don't have much of a solution for them. If it is a, you know, a split between commercial and auto and a, a variety of products and really understand the idea of loss leaders, you know, those are the brokers that we really tend to do a, a good job supporting. Is there something unique about auto? Yes. Um, it's, it's often very, very complicated. It's often the one that is the, has the most regulatory burdens. We operate in, in the U.S. and Canada, and in Canada, there's a lot of provincial differentiations between auto. It makes it very, rather sort of complicated. And we just sort of feel at this time, you know, actually rewinding back to the conversation you mentioned with the gentleman a little while ago about buying insurance online, auto is one of those pretty complicated products that, you know, it frankly just doesn't hurt having someone kind of walk you through that process. The economics of selling auto online is also very, very challenging for the independent broker channel. There's third-party data that has to be accessed. There's, there's a number of things. And when you've paid a tremendous amount of money online to get that lead to your website, then you pay another tremendous amount of money to quote them. And they're basically one click away from, from abandoning you. It just makes the economics very, very difficult. So, one of the things that, that we're really focusing on is helping brokers compete on specialty product, on markets that they understand really, really well, on some lower premium products where there might be a little bit less online search volume, but a higher quality search volume. So really, like our goal is to help brokerages diversify themselves. How do I sell more to my existing customers? How do I get new customers into my store? And then how do I focus on cross-selling them, the more complicated products like auto or larger commercial? The use of a, a loss leader is probably a bit foreign to a lot of agents or brokers. Can you go into that a little bit and talk about, you know, that that's really, in, in many regards, that's, that's a relic of other industries that are now coming in. How do you use that? And, and how would you counsel a new customer to use a loss leader to generate more business? Sure. Yeah, so it absolutely is a term from, you know, that we've borrowed liberally from, from retail uh, and other industries. And, and really the idea is, is to get someone's attention, get them in the store at, you know, at a, at a key point. And marketing insurance is an extremely difficult and expensive thing. As consumers, all of, you know, all of us are also consumers. Um, and we shop and buy things in our, our non-working lives as well. And unfortunately, in, insurance is just not one of those things we, we love to think about on a regular basis. Most of the insurance products we buy are, are annual terms. So even in the best case, you can only get my attention one month out of 12 months. And you actually don't know what that month is. So it makes advertising insurance extremely difficult and extremely expensive. So one of the things that we like the term loss leader um, is we also sort of liken it to the idea of point of purchase or point of sale. So when is it as a consumer that I'm launching myself into the insurance market? I'm making myself available to a advertising message, to a new relationship potentially. So, you know, think about when I buy something, when I get something new, it is 
Sunday morning and I've gone to Best Buy and I've bought myself a drone. And then I'm online that afternoon doing some research on drones and I realized that you know, these things actually have a lot of risk and the FAA is thinking of making sure I have coverage and insurance. Well, what kind of insurance is for drones? I better Google drone insurance. All of a sudden, I'm available to be marketed to and I've got a concern and that concern is tied to something I just spent a whole bunch of money on. So that I'm the most open I might be ever to potentially selecting a new insurance partner I've never heard of. So, you know, drones, an example we use all the time. You know, think about a high-end bicycle, think about a new, you know, jet ski I just bought or a small boat that I just bought. You know, all these types of these types of little things. Cyber insurance is another great example. You know, a lot of small businesses, even if they have insurance, they likely don't have cyber. Every single week we're hearing about, you know, a new data breach at a new big company and how dangerous this is. Well, that's going to create you know, create nervous customers. They're going to be Googling. They're going to be searching for solutions. And if and if you're there with that that lost leader, that little solution that could only be a hundred dollars in premium. And yes, as an independent agent, you're going to make all of twelve bucks. We get that. But that don't think of the twelve bucks. Think of it as a new customer who just bought standalone fiber insurance from you, which means they have a business, which means they need general liability, professional ENO, potentially DNO, and you've solved an immediate problem for them. They were concerned about something, they looked it up, they did some research, they were able to uh, understand and able to buy that product instantly from you. And now you've got that new relationship. So that's really kind of the long-winded answer of what we mean by sort of how do you leverage lost leaders to drive new business. It's amazing to hear you talk about that because really the in, that's what the industry needs is an infusion of that kind of marketing sense you know, from other industries. I've, I've written several times about how I really don't think insurance will be disrupted, but it can really use innovation at, at every touch point. And this is that kind of thing where you know, we've transacted business in a particular way for generations really. And, you know, now with this new digital technology, now we have, we, we can co-opt, we can take ideas that have worked in other areas. And this, this one is like really interesting because it's called a, a loss leader, right? It's, you're not, exp- you're either going to lose money or not make money on this. But the whole idea is just to continue the traction, continue the touch points, get the customer in the door, and then keep working the system, keep you know, now you have a customer, something you didn't have before. I think that's going to be very foreign to a lot of agents and brokers who have traditionally done things face-to-face, cold calling and that type of marketing. Yeah, and here's, I'll, I'll give you one, one other one, because this one probably is one of my favorite. And when I first started working in the business and, and talking to a number of brokers, the, the topic of wedding insurance came up. And I thought, wow, that's a thing? People buy that? What a fantastic fantastic, fantastic product you can sell. And the broker sort of looked at me, no, we don't, we don't sell that stuff. We, we hate it. It's, it's an E&O exposure. We make like $7 in commission. There's this little company that all they do is a bunch of wedding stuff. We typically just tell our customer just to call them and, and good riddance. And we move on to doing other stuff. And I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> so the idea of a wedding customer, if you look at you know, any other large marketing organization, a, you know, a Verizon, a, you know, Chevrolet, you know, whoever it is, they, 
would be foaming at the mouth to get a lead who's getting married. Everything is about to change. Everything they buy is about to change. All their habits are about to change. And for the price of one lead, guess what? You just got two leads. So the idea of selling wedding insurance and then really marketing to that new couple about, you know, the two cars, you can actually get a discount now. You know, you're probably going to be moving in the next little while. I'm sure his furniture is going into storage because it's not coming into her house. So, you know, all these things are really, really important opportunities for growing and innovative insurance agents to really, really figure out how to tackle. And don't worry about the $12 commission. You're building a business, you know, for, for 10 years out, not for, for 10 days out. Yeah, it's being penny wise and pound foolish. It's really an investment. That's a great story. I mean, you, you hit all the touch points and it's something you're in the woods so deep that you forget that you're your job is to continuously prospect and what better way than to spend a little bit of money, break even on the account, but now you have legitimate access to something that's bigger than, than where you started. So that, that is a great story. I'm going to make sure I get that in the show notes. I'm thinking of, I'm putting myself in the customer shoes. So what's it like when broker lift signs a new client, what can an agent or a broker expect as the onboarding process for the initial stage? What's BrokerLift doing in the first few stages uh, to kind of get the ball rolling? So really it depends on what the key sort of opportunity is that we're, that we're partnering with the broker on. We try to make things as quick as possible. That was another kind of founding, founding principle that my co-founder Bezad and I sort of wrote on the wall one day. We're like, this whole business, we can describe it about technology and platforms and e-commerce. But really, at our core, we're at the business of speed. If we're not fast, if we're not speeding up this industry, if we're not speeding up the time to market for products, then we're not doing this industry a, a service. So we really try to take a lot of that sort of friction out of the way. The way we have configured the platform, we can build a net new product in a matter of weeks. And that can be anything as simple as something like wedding insurance, all the way up to you know, professional uh, E&O for architects, for example. So it's a matter of working with the agent and, and the market and the insurer to understand what's the product, what's the opportunity, how do we digitize it, how do we make it consumer friendly. That's another sort of key learning we've had along the way is a lot of the applications, a lot of the underwriting questions, they're all business to business. They're written by underwriters intended for interpretation by, by brokers. Well, when we put some of those products online intended for the insured to fill out, we've got to simplify. We have to simplify the numbers of questions. We have to focus on asking the right questions in the right way. So we provide some of that counseling. We'll work directly with the underwriters and the brokers and say, okay, show us the questions that drive rating. Show us the questions that drive eligibility. And frankly, if there are leftover questions, we're going to bin them. They go in the trash. So because at this point, they're not useful. And then so what we'll do is sort of build out the application and then help the broker install it on uh, on their website. We make all that very, very simple. Essentially, just think of us as a plug-in to the website. The application fits right into to an existing agent's website. We pick up the branding, the emails, the agent's name is on the credit card statement. Absolutely everything we do is white-labeled. Every single step of that process from an end-insured perspective is about the broker's brand. The broker is the customer's trusted partner. Their brand should always be front and center on every single touch point in that transaction. 
Can you talk about a success story with or without names? Absolutely. There's really two good ones that I like that are different types of brokers. So one is a small commercial broker that we work with, and they're basically almost almost all commercial insurance, and they really focus on association programs. So think of E&O coverage for dentists in Illinois, for example. And so this broker will go to associations, professional associations, medical associations, They'll work with those associations to develop product that's specific to the members within that association. The really interesting thing there is that's a very that's a very heavy sales cycle. There's a lot of work to do up front, but once it's done, that product is basically sorted. It's kind of you know what we sort of refer to as kind of box underwritten. So as long as you fit in the box, you can have the product. So then it becomes just a pure administrative task of distributing, renewing, updating, collecting payments. So we met this broker and we, we sort of started working together and we've taken nearly 10 of their association products, digitized it, and are emailing those members of the association. They're going to the broker's website, they're self-renewing their policies, they're paying with a credit card, and we're delivering digital reports right back into their agency management system. So that broker, in the course of that six months, have saved almost a full-time resources time in administrating a uh, program. So they're able to take all that extra time now, those those people, and reallocate them to to better activities, more profitable activities within the brokerage. So that's certainly one, one really thing we focus on. And we do know it is hard for brokerages to staff and to hire new talent. So, you know, the one thing we look for, especially in the commercial side, is how do we digitize administration so you can reallocate the talent you have to take the pressure off of bringing new talent on board? The, the second story is, is actually is more on, a, on the personal line side. And this is a broker in a, in a rural community that, that really had a powerful, powerful insight. They saw a lot of folks retiring out of a couple of nearby cities into their rural area. They come into the area with well-funded with their retirement and they buy a big piece of property, a nice house, and they go out and they buy themselves a $15,000 John Deere utility tractor with the vision of, I don't know, moving piles of dirt around their property for their retirement because that's their uh, that's their dream, I guess. So back to the point of sale example we used and then the loss leader example we used, this savvy broker is online selling tractor insurance. So they are helping these folks who just bought this expensive asset. It's not covered under their home policy. They're identifying that it's a risk. And these customers are learning about this broker's brand, learning about the product, and they're purchasing it online 100% digitally. So those are sort of two, you know, two really, really good examples of, of some brokers that we work with that have been very, very successful in, in leveraging a digital product sale to help them save costs on one business and on the other business really help them organically grow. Yeah, those are fantastic stories. As you're describing it, I'm trying to tie it back to what I do day to day. And now you have me thinking, okay, well, how can I do that for what I do? So those are really good stories. I I think those will resonate with the folks that are listening to this. I want to take a little step back from BrokerList and just talk about startups in general. And I want to ask you, 
because I have one of my own. And I want to ask you, what's been the most frustrating part of, of having a startup? Yeah, I think the, I mean, the biggest challenge of, of any startup is cash flow, it's runway, it's speed. You, you know, you've got a small team, you're yourself, maybe you're a, you know, solo founder or co-founder and, you know, my co-founder and I, we talk about this all the time, is why is no one as fast as we are? It's very frustrating. You know, we've got all these big visions, we've got all these dreams, we want to get things done. And every time we turn a corner, there's someone slowing us down. Best case scenario, they're slowing us down. Worst case, they're blocking us. So, you know, really the most frustrating thing is, uh, is really getting things done quickly and not underestimating how quickly you are going to be able to move. We'd ended up getting some very, very good advice from another entrepreneur, especially in the B2B space. And when we were looking at the type of, the type of capital we would need to, to start this business, <clears throat> you know, he said, basically, take, take the amount of money that you think you need and basically double it because that's the runway you're going to need in a B2B startup. And that was some fantastic advice. And, and fortunately, we were able to almost do that, you know, but we had a, we had a good runway. Uh, but speed, especially, and it's, a, it's heightened in insurance, especially. But any sort of, any kind of startup, you really got to plan for, for things not moving as fast as, as fast as you hope. You've made a business model around the insurance agency brokerage system. There are a lot of folks out there that are trying to carve that out. I think it's a misallocation of resources and that part of the business can absolutely be disrupted. You're betting otherwise. Uh, what, what do you see about the brokerage and agency system in insurance that uh, those folks that think it's going to be disrupted don't see? Uh, I think the danger there is just generalization. So I think when you know when you when you read in the in the in the magazines and you you hear people speak and and people say that the broker channel is is gone, it's dying, it's going to be disintermediated. I think that's a very, I mean, I would argue it's naive and very generalistic. We absolutely agree that there are parts of insurance distribution that can be automated. And, you know, and frankly, we'll say that to brokers. If, if you think your value proposition is filling out forms on company portals on behalf of consumers, you are out of business. That is not a value proposition. <laughs> but if you believe your advice and guidance and ability to solve problems and present solutions to people who have risks and fears and uh, uncertainty, that's a fantastic business. And will succeed well into the future. So, you know, we the the obvious go-to analogy is always travel. You know, the internet's going to destroy travel agents. Well, it didn't. There's certainly a lot less of them, but the ones who survived are more profitable, have a stronger value proposition, and they focus on being advisors, not folks who go onto green screens and book point-to-point -point travel. Those people are gone. There's no value there. So that's really where you know. What we're sort of suggesting to brokers is, is partner with technology providers like us or like other ones and really disintermediate yourself. Find those low value things you do and very, very quickly figure out how to digitize them because that's what all the competitors are trying to do. There's no reason why any independent broker in the United States or Canada can't offer exactly what Lemonade offers. There's no reason why they can't. So... Really what we need to do is really help the channel think about what are the low value things I do? How do I digitize that? How do I essentially get rid of it out of my value proposition? 
and how do I focus on service and solutions and innovation? That's the other, while I'm on this soapbox, the other really interesting thing that we love (laughs) that we love about the broker channel is going back to that tractor example. The broker channel is hand in hand, foot in foot with the customers every single day. So the broker channel is going to see and identifying new opportunities way faster than a, you know, global insurance company, you know, sitting in their offices. This tractor example, I mean, these guys live and breathe people moving into their neighborhood and they're understanding why they're doing it. And they're the ones actually going to, they actually helped develop this product with an insurer who was smart enough to listen to these guys. So, you know, as we go into the future, there are going to be more opportunities. There's going to be more new risks that we as consumers are taking on. We're developing as our economy changes, as the share economy changes. Who would have, you know, would you have been on a podcast talking about drone insurance two years ago or Airbnb coverage or Uber coverage? Absolutely not. It didn't exist two years ago. So what are the things that we're not paying attention to today that need coverage tomorrow? The broker channel are the ones who are going to be able to identify those things and bring those things forward. So as long as the industry can sort of shed the administrative burden, get those things moving along digitally, really focus on solutions, creating products, inventing products, solving customers' problems, brokers who are thinking like that have a long, healthy future in front of them. That's a great message. You, you gave me, uh, you threw out a bunch of quotes there. I'm going to have to re-listen to this podcast and carve those out, get those on the show notes. That was quite a quote session that you had. That was really good. If you were going back, so, you know, looking at the lifespan of BrokerLift, you were going back and had to do it over again. What's like one or two things that you would do differently? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think the, the one thing we sort of, you know, certainly underestimated was the, again, kind of harping on that speed thing. Um, we got very fortunate in the, in the early days to have a, have a strategic partner who was an insurer, who was quite keen to, to digitize product and, and help their brokers. The key thing that, that we've also seen is brokers really need help doing marketing and advertising. And, you know, originally we were, we were helping a number of brokers who kind of aspirationally uh, we're very, very interested in, in doing that, but have, but have had some challenges. So, you know, to do things differently, it, it really would have been probably focusing a little bit more on some of the commercial opportunities earlier. We felt that that really wasn't our strategy in the early days, but has turned out to to very much be a very powerful part of our strategy. And, you know, in really sort of understanding and, and just being a little bit more patient, I think, with some of our potential partners, that's something, you know, we certainly uh, we certainly would would focus on. No one's moving fast enough. I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. happens, happen. I, feel, I, I ask myself the same question. Why can't, why can't anyone move as quickly as we are? What, what the heck is <laughs> taking so long? So I, I, I'll agree with that. Uh, personally, uh, your you know, co-founder startup growing this great business. You must have distractions uh, thrown at you all the time. How do you stay productive? Any advice? What what tools do you use to try to minimize distractions and keep yourself organized? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of things. I mean, I, I, just a firm believer that balance is is very important. You know, working twenty four hours a day doesn't actually really solve a lot. To be totally frank, you know, it's about sort of being efficient, being efficient, 
And, you know, I picked up a quote from someone, I wish I could tell who it actually originally was, but the notion of ruthless prioritization, I, I just think that is such a, a really smart way of, of saying it. And I think for a, uh, for a startup or I mean, anybody who's busy, frankly, the idea of sort of not being apologetic for things that aren't a high, high priority. I think we get, uh, you know, we get it's very easy to get caught up in all the things that have, have to get done and um, or need to get done and, and really not focusing on what should be getting done. The other thing that I, that I think is important and certainly something, you know, picked up from, from some previous roles in, in more creative, um, you know, advertising agencies is, is those good ideas kind of come from actually being disconnected. So, you know, sort of sitting at, at your desk cramming through paperwork, your ability to create a groundbreaking idea is probably going to be a, uh, hampered a little bit. So, you know, I do think it's, it's really, really important, although, you know, it might not look like work, to, to really disconnect from work and go out and do those things you enjoy and take inspiration from, from being a consumer. You know, take inspiration from friends and family, from other coworkers who, who aren't in your industry and really understand and, and ask those questions about how they're tackling certain problems and, and how do you bring those problems back to, how do you bring those solutions back to your business? So, you know, so part of being productive is, is also checking out of your day-to-day business and, and really supporting your own sort of growth and supporting your own sort of ability to, to solve problems, solve problems faster. Yeah, that reminds me of the television show Mad Men, which was a 1960s creative advertising agency. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can find the YouTube clip of that, but uh, the, the creative director is talking to one of the copywriters and he tells her, to solve the problem, think really deeply about it and then stop thinking about it. Just basically like what you said, disconnect and poof, yeah. the solution will come. There it is. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you like really nailed it. It completely reminded me of that scene. And I, and I've always been a believer of that because in, I know in my personal life, yeah, I, I could work 20 hours a day, but at some point, you know, like past hour eight, my productivity uh, really drops off. It's usually the point where I start making a lot of mistakes that I end up having to clean up afterwards, which almost makes it not worthwhile to do those extra hours. So I'm taking advice from you. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to disconnect as well and find some balance. Yeah. I, you know, I always think about sort of grade, you know, grade seven math class and you, you sit there and you stare at this problem for half an hour and you can't solve it. And you don't understand why. And, and you eventually get so frustrated, you give up and you close the book and you go off and do whatever. And then two hours later, you come back, you open the book and you're like, oh, well, the answer is six, obviously. <laughs> Completely. That's, uh, that's a, a microcosm of business in, uh, in general. So uh, that's fantastic. I, would li- I usually end the show. Uh, I'm a big book lover. I want to try to encourage that uh, to all the listeners and get them exposed to some of the great books that are out there and every year there are thousands that come out but uh, I'll I'll ask you have there been uh, are there any new books or old books that you have found influential in your either you know your personal life or business life and and how you think about problems well I'll be completely honest with you Uh, I'm I'm a little bit of the opposite I'm not much of a book guy I don't you know I don't pick up a lot of business books I don't the ones I've the ones I've spent time on in the past have often kind of let me down, to be totally honest. So I don't, I don't really have a necessarily of a the perfect reading list uh, or the the one or two books that you know really kind of keep me going or or inspire me. 
you know, I often just look towards other people and, and experiences to really drive thinking and to, to drive innovation and to, you know, to inspire me to do, to do what I do. It's, uh, you know, that I find, you know, sort of like that street smarts uh, are so much better than, than book smarts. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so I always look, you know, I always look for, for people who have lived the things I would like to read about and instead just talk to them. Thomas, how can people reach you? Yeah, so I'm available uh, at uh, well through BrokerLift. So simple, uh, simple URL BrokerLift.com, and uh, and my email is Thomas at BrokerLift.com. Okay, well, I'll put your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. Uh, so my my guest this week has been Thomas Accardo, the co-founder of BrokerLift. You've uh, you've really brought some insightful comments about the agency system. I think this will be. Uh, really one of those podcasts that agents and brokers are are going to be sending me notes about. Uh, so Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate the conversation.